0: As speech pathologists, we we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and and social connections. And it's important to learn that, how one way of treating or or working with a a client isn't necessarily gonna be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say.
1: Hi everyone welcome to the speech pathology Australia podcast my name is Indu Jacob and I'm a senior speech pathologist working in the area of ENT head and neck cancer at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital in Perth I'm also um, one of the WA continuing professional development committee members of speech pathology Australia it is the greatest privilege that I get to introduce Rochelle Robinson in this podcast More than 12 years ago, when I was a budding speech pathologist, I attended a tracheostomy management course by Rochelle. I left that talk thinking that this is what I want to do. So here I am doing exactly that. It was truly inspiring. So it is my honour to introduce Rochelle Robinson. Welcome, Rochelle, and thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me, Indu. Thank you for chatting with me. Bit of an introduction about Rochelle. Often called as um, Shell or Shelley. She is a spe- senior speech pathologist in head and neck oncology at Prince of Wales Hospital in Ranwick, Sydney. This includes tracheostomy management and being part of the hospital tracheostomy team. She has worked in tracheostomy management for 22 years in Australia and the UK. There is a lot of experience there. Michelle. <laughs> Can you tell me how you became interested in the area of adult um, tracheostomy management and why you're so passionate about it?
0: Thank you, Indu. Yes, I am slightly passionate about tracheostomy management, and I'll tell anyone that will listen about tracheostomies and try and convert you. Um, But
1: (laughs) You certainly did that to me. (laughs)
0: Um, I still can't quite believe I work in adults, let alone tracheostomies, to think that I'd work with people with holes in their neck. Um, wasn't something I envisaged at all. I was always going to be a paediatric therapist. I was going to be in private practice with my sister, who's a speech pathologist, and that was where we were heading to be together working in that field. Um, I started working with Peds, and then I jumped on a plane. There was about 80 of us in our year of speech pathology and physio that all went and worked in the UK together. And I started working in peds and then shortly after there wasn't any jobs in paediatrics in the UK and there was no way I wasn't going to keep earning those pounds and travelling. So I swapped to adults at that point and I've never looked back. Um, I've loved it ever since Um, and I'm a public health girl through and through, I think. Um, And I never forget when I was on the wards in England and they said there's a tracheostomy patient. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you are kidding. Like, uh, of course there is. Yep, yep, I'll have a go. What do I have to do? And I remember being given a bottle of blue food coloring, and they said just just use that, and that's all you really need to do. You know, put a few drops in their mouth, and and we'll we'll suction and check they're not aspirating. That's that's pretty much what you have got to do. Obviously, they trained me more than that, but um, basically, uh, you know, I thought, okay, I can do a color result. Oh, this isn't this isn't too hard. Um, and then I think it was really working out the role we can play with these patients and working as a team um, that I really felt value in what we could contribute for these patients. And I just constantly was learning and doing joint sessions and loving the whole tracky team element and working towards getting these patients eating, drinking, talking and getting those trackies out that I just found it extremely rewarding, um, no matter we, what type of tracky patient they were. Um, and then I really was passionate about education. So the other area, if I wasn't a speech pathologist, was medicine, nursing, or teaching. So it's I suppose it fits that I work in with adults in acute care, in teaching roles and research roles. Um, and clinical roles. It sort of just fits with, I suppose, where my passions are and where my skill set may be. Um, and I, yeah, I feel really driven to help these patients, but very much help demystify tracking management for other speech pathologists. I remember it was, as much as I joke around about it, it was quite frightening thinking about all the medical side of that. But once you understand it, it's actually, you've got the skills as a speech pathologist, you can do this, you know, Um, that that's really, I've always liked to play that mental consultative role for other speech pathologists to really build up their confidence and knowledge and hopefully their passion in working in trackies because anything you work in as a speech pathologist, if you just dip your toe in, it's very difficult, whereas if you get to specialise, I feel sometimes that I get the easy job. Um, so if I can help clinicians that, especially if they occasionally just have trackies as part of their caseload, um, if I can help support them and educate them, um, through workshops workshops like you attended, Indu, you hopefully spark something for clinicians. Um, and when running a workshop like that, you assume not everyone's going to walk away saying they want to work with trackies, but even if, <laughs> even if something resonates with them that they can then find their passion in whatever pathway they're supposed to follow in their life and career then I feel that I've achieved that purpose I suppose.
1: So Rochelle you sort of said like you know you were given this blue dye and told so, so, so can you just also just explain what is the general role of the speech pathologist in adult tracheostomy management?
0: Okay, it's, it's, it's more than that blue dye.
1: <laughs> we, don't, we don't tend to
0: use it anymore, except with fees anyway. But um, I think in terms of our role, if you keep the patient in the centre of everything you do, and you're an advocate for the patient, your role will become very clear. So it varies depending on the tracky patient, the type of patient they are, if they're of a neuro background, if they're more of a respiratory background, if they're more of an ENT background. But this doesn't give a textbook answer of how you're going to, what your role is going to be with those patients either. But it actually helps you bring in the right members of the team um and your role can differ depending on if you work in a intensive care unit with that patient versus the ward. Sometimes when those tracky patients on the ward you're looked at in a different way than you're as a speech pathologist in ICU where there's more doctors and more support networks potentially, and also when that patient's weaning off the trachea and moving where they're hopefully going to get that trachea out, if they are going to get that trachea out. Um, it's really being aware of your role in terms of swallowing, communication and weaning, and I'll talk a bit more about that. Um, Weaning meaning the process in which you're taking to get that chucky out. Um, But it really differs... Depending on where that patient is located, um, also if you're in a tertiary hospital versus a regional rural hospital, um, sometimes when I talk to people in those centres, the tracky team is it looks different. They may not have an ENT surgeon. They may not have an intensivist that specialises in trackies. So there might be more a clinical nurse. Um, there might be outreach outreach nurses where they deal with a long-term trackie. So it really depends on who's in your team, what type of patient they are, where they are along their care pathway, if they're ventilated, if they're not ventilated. Um, but we have a real clear role to play to be an advocate for that patient so they can communicate, whether that's verbally or not verbally. Um, yeah. It's trying to sit, use your team, work with the patient, really set goals up with the patient um, about where they would like to be. Again, it's not treating yourselves but treating the patient we have a fairly clear idea of where we think they should be from a communications following point of view, but what are their goals too in this? Um, especially with trackies, sometimes when they can't voice, there is a big loss of control and we know there's a close link with depression and other psychosocial issues. So I feel a speech pathologist's role is really to work with the patient, their family, really educate them around what a trachea is. Sometimes a patient don't doesn't realise why they can't voice. They have had surgery and sometimes they think, gosh, did they take my voice box, larynx out at the same time? So it's sometimes, but by just showing a picture or anatomy model and saying it's mechanically impossible for you to voice, but we're going to take steps towards that, that relief for the patient. You know, all they can see is the flange and the hub of the trackie. They can't see what's going on inside. So I feel we play a real educatory role for the patient, the family. And often you'll see the nurses lean over and have a good look at what you're teaching too because they're not quite sure too. So um, that's really important. I think our role is really to follow them along their whole care pathway sometimes in head and neck cancer when we know they've had a trachea, we prepare them for that before surgery so we get involved in their care pathway even before they've had a trachea. and again it's really educating them around that when you wake up you won't have a voice it's not that we've taken your larynx out all of that stuff like i mentioned and then sometimes the trachees can't come out for various reasons. So it's also our role to work with the long-term trachees, whether that's in the community or in whatever situation that is. Um,
1: no, that was really good. Um, I remember, like, when I first started doing tracheostomy, we put the speaking valve on and then their voice is like... <sighs> It's amazing, <laughs> it's such a rewarding, it's so rewarding. It's, um,
0: yeah. Anyway. Yes, yes. Um, and it's amazing the first words that patients usually say <laughs> and there's usually a whole lot of tears and um, I'll never forget when we got a young spinal patient voicing and he could call his girlfriend for the first time and I don't think there was a dry eye in the unit, you know. So, yeah. Um, it's really important role to facilitate that communication between a patient and their loved ones, but also a patient and the medical staff, um, whether just so they have some element of control and decision-making and input into what's happening for them, um, whether that's for active treatment or palliative treatment, how can we facilitate that verbally or non-verbally because we are the communication specialists. And that's why... As much as the trachea is a new concept for some people, as speech pathologists, we get communication swallowing. So it's it's not that overwhelming. You've got the skills. Um, we just need to tweak it a little to, to teach a little bit about the trachea elements.
1: Yeah. Michelle, what do you think is the key to learning about tracheostomy management?
0: I think with any type of learning, it really involves being open-minded, curious, um, vulnerable and open to sharing and I think if you start with that as a platform in any sort of learning environment, you are going to make great decisions about how you're going to learn through this process. So there's obviously the more traditional ways um, and more formal ways by attending workshops and Um, and reading through your policies and procedures and your guidelines set out um, by SPAR as well as um, other guidelines brought out by the health departments Um, and then there's obviously a lot more informal ways of doing that with a lot of joint sessions with the nurses and physios with your senior speech pathologists Um, going through a formal competency program can help too um, where there's a lot of formal learning through research and textbooks and things, but then online learning um, and competencies is really important for that. I think observational learning experiences, though, are so valuable. So even when you have seen several trackies, to keep working with other speech pathologists, go to other actual centres and learn from other speech pathologists in other centres, watch how other tracky teams work, and... Um, you'll learn so much also each time you go on a tracky team ward round and that's how we often take our speech pathologists that are going through their competencies that they come on those ward rounds so they hear all the language they hear what other teams do they hear about all the troubleshooting and working through problems and how we aim to be completely patient-centered and how we're going to get to the patient goals um A big part of my learning has been part of the New South Wales Tracheostomy Discussion and Evidence-Based Practice Group and something equivalent to that, if possible, by working with your peers um, who all have the same goal and focus that we can, again, discuss some of those really challenging cases um, and really learn from each other. That has been totally the reason why we've been able to critique literature and help with translational research because with the evidence on tracheostomies, not only can it be limited, but the level of evidence can be limited too. So it's working out what can and can't we say from the available evidence what can we do ourselves in terms of internal evidence and benchmarking and things like that so that we know how to answer clinical questions that come up? It's I think you also learn a lot through trackies by putting yourself out there and actually having discussions with some of those challenging discussions with either the intensivists or ENTs or and l- l- taking it from their perspective too, um, being outside the box. And sometimes you don't mean to be a bit tunneled vision about swallowing, communication, weaning, but it's really thinking about it from their perspective as well as really putting yourself out there and running grand rounds, workshops. Anytime you're researching a topic or area to present on, you learn it at a deeper level. Um, and that, again, gives you confidence Um especially when you're challenged about the evidence that you feel that using the groups, using your mentors and seniors, that you can give some great responses to really help that individual patient.
1: That sounds great. That's exactly like, I mean, I think something things that we miss in WA is probably having like a tracheostomy, um, Interest group, or you know, where we can discuss across the sites of different types of management, but that, that, yeah, exactly. I agree. It's, I learned so much from doing rounds and um, observation and being in being put in the deep end at times, but but that's the way you learn. It's, it's, yes, it's, it's really good,
0: yes, and I think it's actually being vulnerable like I said in those groups like our groups now existed for 20 years and it's gone from three of us to 20 of us over the years and people come and go if it meets your needs or doesn't meet your needs but it's lovely to have that discussion and an evidence-based practice component because translational research and some of these issues that come up in trackies are really challenging you know and I even think about blue dye and I remember when the evidence came up about blue dye I was devastated because I loved the blue dye and when yes, it was high right. false negatives high false positives <laughs> I'm like how am I going to change that practice because we used to get called for shell can you come and do the blue dye test yeah. for the trackie and I was like oh my gosh how am I going to i do that. So, to hold hands with other speech pathologists and try stuff and workshop things together, and how about you say it like this or reframe it like this? And it's some of that is you know the evidence, but how many years it takes to translate it into clinical practice can be the big barrier. Um, and yeah, that, that, the, Discussion and mentoring and partnerships, I think, are invaluable.
1: Mm, yeah. So, what are what are some of the challenges in working in this area?
0: That translational research.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 but to
0: be honest, out of a lot of the clinical areas I work in, in terms of head and neck and with tracky. I have to again say because of the group, some of that translational work has been easier at times because even though we have been limited by the evidence available, because there is that active partnership and groups and discussion, we have slowly overcome some of those challenges. I'm not saying we're there yet, but um, the translational research is definitely an ongoing challenge um also in terms of conducting clinical research in this area it is growing but it's still for for us to think that the way in which we wean patients either capping or not capping it's such a big area and big decision making in every tracky team, yet there's very limited evidence about should we cap or shouldn't we cap, which is quite remarkable for such an integral part of patient care along their tracky care pathway. So that having protected research time in positions, I think is a real challenge. Um, and that's what's almost needed for good research to come into this area. Um, resource allocation is always a challenge. Um, Talking with other um, people, it's often sometimes um, not valued in terms of the role speech pathologists can play in tracking and what impact we can have with these patients along their care pathway that if we had a little bit more funding, I know this is what's been reported by some clinicians that we could do more with AAC, for example. How do we get the non-verbal trackies really communicating well? Um, And even in terms of collecting outcome measures and things like that, people feel really limited because of time availability. Um, So that that can be a factor um training of staff in tracheostomy and then maintaining their skills in trache because it's not just about getting people competent as how do you maintain that confidence and skills in trache um, with certain staff levels and and everything um also historically it's sometimes hard to be a patient advocate when you come up against different obstructions. And we all know about politics in hospitals and all the rest of it. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> red tape and all that. So I find that that's a constant challenge at times that um, you trying to keep the patient in the middle of whatever you're trying to get through whatever, you're, whether it's creating a tracky team, whether it's um, trying to make sure every tracky patient's referred to speech pathology by making sure intensive care refer to speech pathology and actually don't call us externals and welcome us into their unit. Uh, there's lots of speaking to other speech pathologists, metropolitan, regional. This is a consistent theme, some of those barriers and obstructions to just being able to see the patient or see them how you'd like to see them as a team Um, having a formalized tracky team how does that look where's funding for that is it a funded tracky team is it an unfunded tracky team how does that look um, how do we measure the effectiveness of that? And and sometimes these things do take years. And as depressing as that sounds initially, do you know what? You just keep chipping away, chip away, chip away. And my philosophy is what's the worst that can happen? And if you just get a few no's and, you know, go away, you just try something new and just keep nudging, keep nudging, get being creative engage as many key stakeholders that are feel aligned with your values and with where you're heading with your goals um you can keep working around those obstructions and get to where you need to for that patient um population of trachees.
1: perfect rochelle thank you so much for joining me that was brilliant i can't wait <laughs> like you talk more on tracheostomy management um, So if you're keen to learn more about adult tracheostomy management, Rochelle is facilitating a workshop for Speech Pathology Australia in December. Please refer to the Learning Hub on Speech Pathology Australia website for more details. I know I'll be attending and getting inspired again. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you, Rochelle. And please tune in again next next Wednesday for another Speak Up conversation.
0: Thank you, Indu. hope you enjoyed this week's conversation remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues thank you for listening and bye for now